Donald Trump is nearing complete vindication from the impeachment process. This may be one of the best days he's ever had because outside of a few court victories, he's actually got a press victory under his belt as the Washington Post has written an article refuting much of the Russiagate lies and calling out one of the most notorious Russiagate proponents on MSNBC. First, article of impeachment number one, abuse of power. Well, as it turns out, a Ukrainian court is forcing a probe into Biden's role in the firing of prosecutor Viktor Shokin, which may show that Trump was justified in saying we should look into what this guy was doing. It may now actually happen. The other story is that a powerful court has sided with Trump and said his former lawyer can ignore a congressional subpoena. Well, that was article of impeachment number two, obstruction of Congress, arguing that because Trump said certain people shouldn't testify, he should be impeached. Now, let me stop. These are not total and complete vindications for the president. Just a little bit. But we do have another story, not bad from the Washington Post, where they're calling out a high profile Russiagator for being wrong. This has just been a great day for Donald Trump. He's coming off of a historic peace agreement, and now he's got court victories and a major press victory. Let's read through exactly what's going on. But dare I say, earlier this month was one of the best weeks Trump had ever had, one of the worst weeks the Democrats have ever had. And now at the end of the month, one of the best weeks again for the president, as as I stated, he's nearing total vindication. Now, you may notice I'm talking about the Washington Post in two of these stories and BuzzFeed. So let me stress, I love using leftist media sources. You know why? Because you can't deny it. If BuzzFeed News and the Washington Post are saying it, how are you going to try and claim it's fake news or a smear? That's how you know this stuff is very likely to be true because even they can't deny it. Let's get started with the first story from BuzzFeed. A powerful court sided with Trump and said his former lawyer can ignore a congressional subpoena. House Democrats had demanded that former White House General Counsel Don McGahn testify about the Russia probe and thought he could help their impeachment case. Now, before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several ways you can give, but the best thing you can do is share this video. Why, I assure you there are many people who will just absolutely not believe it. But let me stress, this is BuzzFeed News. Okay, fine. Maybe even they will smear BuzzFeed News and say not good enough. But how about the Washington Post? Hopefully this will be enough to crack some echo chambers and get some information to various groups who might not otherwise want to hear it. I will also mention some uh, some statistics. 30 or so percent of the people who watch my content don't actually subscribe. So if you hate me, by all means, don't do it. But if you do like my content and want to see more, please consider subscribing. Hit that button. Hit that notification bell. That way you'll get notified when my videos come up because YouTube is actually doing a lot to prevent my content and content from other political commentators from seeing the light of day. But let's read from BuzzFeed. They say, A federal appeals court on Friday ruled that President Donald Trump's former top White House lawyer, Don McGahn, can avoid testifying before the House of Representatives, giving the president a victory in his efforts to block his senior staff from appearing before lawmakers. The case had arisen in the context of the Russia probe with relevance that extended into Trump's impeachment proceedings as the president blocked several members of administration from testifying. But it also raised questions about whether the president enjoys blanket powers to stonewall congressional investigations. Listen, they wanted Trump's staff to testify. He said, don't. They said, how dare you obstruct us? But Congress is not above the executive branch. They would need to seek relief through the courts if they actually wanted to accuse Trump of obstruction. 
If the courts ruled, yes, Trump, you must have your your staff testify. And then Trump still said no. Fine. That's obstruction. But in fact, the courts have sided with Trump in at least one of these instances. So it's no wonder the Democrats in their impeachment process didn't bother going to the courts, thus undermining the entire impeachment. It's because we now know they would lose. The two to one decision led by judges appointed by Republicans. Oh, is that is that what you're putting in BuzzFeed? Said the House Judiciary Committee lacked standing to bring the case, arguing the dispute should be worked out by the White House and Congress, not courts. The decision from the U.S. Court of Appeals for Washington, D.C. overrules a lower court's November order against the president and said the case should be dismissed. A constitutional provision known as Article 3 that dictates the sort of cases judges can adjudicate, the court wrote, forbids federal courts from resolving this kind of interbranch information dispute. The case had become a closely watched indicator for larger battles over Trump's powers with Congress and, looking ahead, decades of future White House maneuvers. In particular, it may establish whether presidents can yoke their aides away from Congress, even if those staffers have intimate knowledge of possible misconduct. It's because of privilege and it's because of the checks and balances. No one branch is more powerful than the other. But this specifically undermines Democrats' second impeachment plans. Now, of course, I think the Democrats have many plans for impeaching the president a second time. But this story from Politico, House counsel suggests Trump could be impeached again. The comment came in a filing with federal court with federal court that argues Democrats still need testimony from former White House counsel Don McCann. Trump has won against the second impeachment before it even happened. No, the reality is if the Democrats sought court relief over the other people that Trump said don't told not to testify, there wouldn't have even been a first impeachment. And that's why they didn't try. Judge Thomas Griffith, an appointee of former President George W. Bush, wrote the Friday opinion with a concurrence from Judge Karen Henderson, who was appointed by George Bush Sr. Please spare me. These are old school Republicans. They are not the same Trumpist Republicans. And just because they're Republicans now doesn't mean they owe any allegiance to Donald Trump. Stop playing these games, BuzzFeed. We express no view on the merits except to emphasize a crucial aspect of our constitutional design. The branches have long resolved their differences through negotiation and compromise. Judge Judith Rogers, who was appointed by former Democratic President Bill Clinton, said in a dissent that the majority's decision may undermine Congress. The court removes any incentive for the executive branch to engage in the negotiation process, seeking accommodation, all but ensures future presidential stonewalling of Congress and further impairs the House's ability to perform its constitutional duties, Rogers said. At least for now, the decision against House Democrats shuts down attempts to obtain fresh evidence in its investigations of the president and make McGahn, who was the White House general counsel, discuss what he knew about the Russia probe. Russia is over. I can't believe they're still trying to play these games, but they lost. Good, good, finally. But they're not going to stop. And we know they're not going to stop. But at least there's a court victory. And it wasn't Trump who appointed these people. They say it was not immediately clear if the House Judiciary Committee would appeal the decision. But many believe the McGahn case is destined for the Supreme Court. So Trump may still lose. McGahn had departed the White House in October 2018, well before Trump's conversations with Ukraine that led to the impeachment inquiry. But as the case rolled ahead, House Democrats insisted his knowledge was relevant to removing the president from office as well, but he didn't even work there. Can we stop? 
I am going to really enjoy this later bit of the segment where the Washington Post tears apart Russiagate fake news. Thank you, Washington Post. I appreciate this one. McGann's case is specifically about whether White House staff must appear to testify before Congress, not that they can answer every question because executive privilege allows the president to withhold particularly sensitive information. But Trump's Justice Department has claimed to possess an exceptionally broad shield, saying top aides like McGahn are absolutely immune from compelled congressional testimony. I mean, he's a lawyer. Justice Department lawyers representing McGahn argued in a January 3rd hearing that courts should stay out of the current political food fight. But the case animates a rerun of American history that's never reached a season finale. Many presidents have bristled at calls for their staff to testify before Congress, including George W. Bush administration, including the George W. Bush administration unsuccessfully attempting to block White House counsel Harriet Myers from testifying in 08. And yet no federal appeals court has ever set legal precedent by resolving the dispute. So why pretend like it's only because the Republican appointed judges are, are, are doing this? Or why pretend it's because Republicans appointed these judges? No one's done it before. Why would they do it now? McGahn's imbroglio began when Democrats who controlled House Judiciary Committee sought his testimony in spring 2019 as they investigated elements of the Russia probe by former special counsel Robert Mueller. After the White House repeatedly claimed McGahn was immune, the committee filed suit. I'm not going to read too much into this because suffice it to say, they lost. In the end, they say, in another closely watched case, House Democrats sought testimony from Charles Kupperman, the president's former deputy national security advisor in the impeachment inquiry. Kupperman asked a court to declare whether he had immunity, but a judge dismissed the case as moot in December after Democrats withdrew their subpoena. And they withdrew it because they would have lost and they had nothing to impeach the president on. It was a sham because now we're learning that Ukraine is actually forcing a probe into the firing of Victor Shokin. Victor Shokin, he's that prosecutor that everyone said was corrupt. Joe Biden bragged about getting him fired. If, you, if, you don't, if he's not fired in six hours, you're not getting the billion dollars. Well, Trump asked about that. He said, there's this video. It looks horrible. And they said, because Trump asked about it, it was an abuse of power to dig up dirt on a political opponent. And they never proved that. It was just their assumption. They never even asked the president or any of the witnesses, what was Trump's frame of mind pertaining to the 2020 election and Joe Biden? Because as we know now, Joe Biden is not the front runner nor is he even winning at this point. Maybe he will. I don't know. But Donald Trump has expressed concern over going up against Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders talks trade. Why would Trump want dirt on Biden unless it's just because Biden is dirty? Now, the Washington Post is going to be biased on this one because, of course, this is a tough thing to admit. But here's the story. Once again, a slight vindication for Donald Trump. Ukraine court forces probe into Biden role in firing of prosecutor Viktor Shokin. They report a court ruling in Ukraine has forced state investigators to open a probe into alleged pressure by then Vice President Joe Biden that led to the 2016 dismissal of Viktor Shokin as the country's prosecutor general, officials said Thursday. President Trump last year pressed Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky for an investigation of this kind, leading to Trump's impeachment by the House and his eventual acquittal in a Senate trial. Shokin's firing, however, was not a unilateral action directed by Biden. It was prompted by a push for anti-corruption reforms developed in the State Department and coordinated with the European Union and the International Monetary Fund. Shokin's lawyer, Alexander Teleshetsky, said the probe was launched in response to a court order after an appeal for action by Shokin. 
The State Bureau of Investigation confirmed a case was open. They are probing whether or not Biden interfered. It's not proof. It's not absolute evidence. It is just a slight vindication that the courts in the Ukraine say there is enough here to go on. We should investigate. It could result in complete exoneration, but we'll see. Donald Trump said, hey, look into this. And now a court has agreed. You know what? Maybe we should. Yet the Democrats thought that was grounds for impeachment. Do you want to now claim that the courts in Ukraine are corrupt and doing Trump's bidding? Oh, of course they will. Of course they will. That's absurd. I am sick and tired of the conspiracy theories. There is no grand conspiracy between the courts in Ukraine and Donald Trump to go after Joe Biden. You want to talk conspiracy theories? You're talking nonsense. Let the investigation happen. If Biden's got nothing to hide, then what's the problem? Trump and his allies have put intense pressure on Zelensky's administration to open investigations into Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, who sat on the board of Ukrainian uh, gas company Burisma. From late 2018, Shokin met with Trump's personal attorney, Giuliani, as Giuliani sought political dirt on the Bidens. They made that up. They made that up. That is an assumption, an opinion that has never been proven. What we know about what Giuliani was doing can be framed in many ways. But to claim it was seeking dirt on the Bidens is an opinion masquerading as fact in this story. You want the fact? Giuliani met with Ukrainian officials to discuss potential corruption uh, pertaining to Joe Biden. For what reasons? Don't know. I can't assume it was it was well-intended or malintent. Maybe Giuliani wanted to weed out corruption. Maybe it was about helping the president. I can't assume that. And neither can they, but they do it all the time. Let's see what the courts figure out. But of course, they're going to try and frame it like, but that means Trump's pressure campaign is working. Not sorry. That's a conspiracy theory you've never proven. Trump was acquitted. And now we learned that the courts have sided with him on article, uh, article of impeachment two, obstruction of Congress, that his that McGahn didn't even have to testify. Shokin has claimed he was pushed out by Biden because he tried to launch a probe into Hunter Biden's role at Burisma. False. There was a dormant investigation into Burisma, and he claims he was fired because of it. In fact, Ukrainian investigations into Burisma related to the period before Hunter Biden joined the board. That's right, Washington Post. Why would you then frame it this way? Quote, they need to investigate this. They have no other alternative. They are required to do this by the decision of the court. If they don't, then they violate a whole string of procedural norms, Teleshetsky said in an interview. Shokin's January appeal to the court mentioned by mentioned Joe Biden by name, but the case was opened by the SBI mentions only a U.S. citizen. Daria Kalaniak, director of Ukraine's anti-corruption action center, said that under Ukrainian law, anyone could go to court and demand the SBI open a case. If a court approved it, the SBI was required by law to do so. Even if officials did not believe there was enough evidence, the court approved it. That's the point. It is a court relief. Trump is now getting vindication through different courts. I'm not going to pretend Ukraine is a perfect country. It's a corrupt and, and dirty country. It is. I think Ukraine's cool. I got I have friends who live there, so I'm not trying to be mean, but they got serious problems with corruption. And I mean dirty in the sense of like political dirt, not like it's actually a really beautiful place. They got good food. But no, it is it is a politically dirty and corrupt place. So perhaps, perhaps it's possible then that this prosecutor was fired in exchange for loan guarantees from the United States government. That is still corruption. Now let's get real. Burisma, the head of Burisma, well, I don't have it pulled up, but uh, Mykola, I believe, what was his name? Zlochevsky. Here we go. Mykola Zlochevsky. He was cleared 
by the new guy who came in from Biden. So let, 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 me, let me try and get this for you guys. Joe Biden comes in. If he's not fired, you're not getting the money. There was an open investigation, but it was dormant. They then fire this guy and a new prosecutor comes in who clears Lachevsky of all wrongdoing. Zlochevsky then returns to Ukraine up until Trump steps in and then he flees. They believe, I think he's, he's in Monaco now. That's why I think because he, he fled because the investigations were coming. Could it be that because of Joe Biden's interference, the worst case scenario, he got an innocent guy fired? I mean, well, I mean, the best case scenario for Biden, our assumption is that he got an innocent guy fired because it turns out this guy was dirty. They reopened investigations and he fled the country. Isn't that strange? Well, now the courts are saying we're going to look into this. Good news for Donald Trump. But now I bring you to a particular reporter. And you know what? I don't want to be overly harsh on this MSNBC, uh, uh, um, you know, correspondent or whatever role she has, a contributor. But the Washington Post is being hard. This is a reporter named Natasha Bertrand. And the Washington Post writes this story, how Politico's Natasha Bertrand bootstrapped dossier credulity into MSNBC gig. I'll tell you the gist of it. They basically say that this woman who worked for Business Insider and then Politico and the Atlantic was being used essentially to justify the absurd fake news coming out of Russiagate. She would come on and say something as to why it was probably true when it wasn't. And they reached out for comment. And of course, nobody really wants to do it. Politico, of course, said they stood by Natasha Bertrand. Let me read a little bit here. And then I want to show you why this is so dang interesting that this person with hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter kept pushing Russiagate, which is now bunk, and still tries justifying it. They they, they actually claimed that, uh, I believe it was Natasha Bertrand. We'll read this. They have a statement here from Glenn Greenwald. She actually argued they should restrict information that the government shouldn't be releasing, you know, the information proving Russiagate to be false. Actually, let me just do this. Consider, however, that Beltway reporters for decades have been fighting over redaction from the national security bureaucracy. Here, Politico was all but clamoring for it. Quote, I cannot fathom being a journalist and complaining that the government isn't hiding more information, says Glenn Greenwald. So let me introduce you to this story. Eric Wemple of the Washington Post writes, Russian election interference is back in the news. According to reports from last week, Congress received warnings from intelligence officials that the Kremlin favors the reelection of President Trump. Those sirens prompted a freak out from Trump himself, who worried that his Democratic detractors would use the information against him. Where there's a report on Russian meddling, there's an MSNBC segment waiting to be taped. Last Thursday night, MSNBC host Joy Reid, subbing for all-in host Chris Hayes, turned to political national security reporter Natasha Bertrand with a question about whether Trump, quote, wants Russian meddling or whether he can't accept that foreign help is there. Bertrand responded, we don't have the reporting that suggests that the president has told aides, for example, that he really wants Russia to interfere because he thinks that it's going to help him, right? No, we don't have that reporting, though there's no prohibition against fantasizing about it on national television. Such is the theme of Bertrand's commentary during previous coverage of Russian interference, specifically the dossier of memos drawn up by former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele. With winks and nods from MSNBC hosts, Bertrand heaped credibility on the dossier, which was published in full by BuzzFeed. In repeated television appearances, her written work has appeared on Business Insider, The Atlantic and Politico, where she is now a national security reporter. Along the way, she bootstrapped her punditry into a contributor's role on MSNBC, probably making a good amount of money. The boosterism dates back years 
They say on September 18th, 2017, for example, Bertrand participated in a collective journalistic failure on the MSNBC airwaves. On All In, Bertrand, who then worked for Business Insider, discussed an apparent scoop from CNN that Paul Manafort, the former campaign chairman for Trump, had been wiretapped before and after the 2016 presidential election under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. To shower context on the apparent news, Bertrand remarked that securing a FISA warrant is extremely difficult. And she sandwiched the report with previous reporting that the feds had taken a similar action regarding former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. They also got a warrant for Carter Page, who, if you remember, in the infamous Trump Russia Steele dossier, it said that Carter Page was actually working as a liaison, being managed by Paul Manafort as a kind of go-between. So these pieces are all starting to come together, and it's really alarming. Unless, of course, you actually know what's going on. Wemple then writes, not so alarming as it turned out. For once, CNN was wrong about the Manafort wiretapping story, as made clear in the report from Michael Horowitz. The network added a weaselly editor's note to the Manafort story as a means of wishing away the bad news. For another, the Horowitz report made clear the FBI made numerous omissions and errors in the FISA process and still secured authorization. So let me just slow down. I don't want to get too in the weeds on this one. Suffice it to say, MSNBC has been chock full of insane conspiracy nonsense for the past several years. And now Trump is facing some vindication from the courts and the press. I can't believe it. The Washington Post of all outlets actually going after the fake Russiagate smears. But let me show you how it all comes together. Take a look at this Politico story. Why it reads, Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. Kiev officials are scrambling to make amends with, president, with, with the president-elect after quietly working to boost Clinton. From Kenneth Vogel and David Stern, January 11th, 2017. We know that there was an effort from some Ukrainian officials to help Hillary Clinton get elected. This is a fact. It has been established in Ukrainian courts, for instance, and reported by the New York Times. But I bring you now to this hilarious story. Senate panel look into Ukraine interference comes up short. It says some Republican senators recently questioned whether Kiev tried to sabotage Donald Trump's campaign in 2016. But the GOP led intelligence committee looked into the theory and found scant evidence to support it. I'm not going to go through everything she claims, but I think it's fair to say based on how she interpreted past news, it was likely not entirely true. And this story, of course, from Natasha Bertrand, who is now being called out for her bad reporting in the past. And now we have this one. How a Russian disinfo op got Trump impeached. The Kremlin may have been laying the groundwork for blaming Ukraine for 2016 as early as 2015 by Natasha Bertrand, conspiracy theorist extraordinaire. She wasn't reporting on Russiagate. She was just parroting government talking points that turned out to be bunk. And now it's likely that she's just pushing weird conspiracies and Politico is chugging along. You know, what's really funny. Politico reported this Ukrainian efforts to sabotage, sabotage Trump backfire. And then Politico reported multiple stories without retracting their original report. That doesn't make sense at all. You can't report the Ukrainians did it and then go on to report it didn't happen. But of course, it was not just this one reporter who had pushed the lies coming out of the government or certain government actors and certain political partisans. But she's now gone to gra- she's now graduated to claiming Russia is trying to blame Ukraine. OK, you know what? A Ukrainian court just opened a probe into the firing of Viktor Shokin. Is that a Russian plot? Woo-hoo. 
What kind of conspiracies are you all talking about? You're nuts. I'm sick and tired of the conspiracy mainstream press. MSNBC is disgusting conspiracy trash. Rachel Maddow should be ashamed of herself and all these correspondents should be as well. They have pushed this psychotic nonsense onto the American public and they have destroyed so much of our political landscape because they are insane people. I believe it was Chris Hayes or or someone on MSNBC had on Jonathan Chait saying Trump may have been a Russian asset since the 1980s or Rachel Maddow who claimed that the Russians might turn off your electricity in the winter in Fargo. Oh, the crazy conspiracy trash continues. And now they're trying to act like, what, what is this story? It's from, stories from just a month ago, January 22nd. It was a Russian disinformation plot that tricked Trump into wanting to investigate Ukraine. Oh, what's that? A court in Ukraine has agreed to open, to, to, has ordered an investigation to be opened. But I thought it was a conspiracy theory. Are you saying a Russian plot against Ukraine has forced their courts, has tricked their courts? I'm done playing these games. Launch the investigations. Tell me what happened. Trump is already winning in the courts. I'm done with this. You messed up, Democrats. You made a mistake. You jumped the gun. And now you've got egg on your face. I am so sick and tired of this complete fake news crap. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastnews. I hope you've enjoyed it because I got more coming and I will see you all then. Is the coronavirus the apocalypse? No, as far as we can tell, it is going to be bad in a certain respect. We're going to see lockdown, supply chain disruption, but it is not the worst thing we've ever seen in the world. And if we track swine flu, there are some predictions that this will be very, very similar, which means it can end up infecting you know 13 to 14 million people. Decent mortality rate. But as of right now, the coronavirus mortality rate is around 2.2 or as high as 3%, but I think it's around 2.2%. And now that we are starting to address it and go after it and hospitalize people, the mortality rate will likely start dropping because we are actually tracking this and working on it. So here's the big controversy this morning. Donald Trump says criticism of White House response to coronavirus crisis is new Democrat hoax as student 15 in Washington state becomes fourth unknown origin case, the third in 24 hours. This is bad, 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 bad. Listen, we don't know how these people are getting, are contracting the virus, which means it is absolutely spread further than we can track. And there are probably many other people who have it, maybe asymptomatic or may have a mild case they're ignoring because they think it's a cold. There's probably someone right now in Washington who says, I just have a cold. There's no way I've got coronavirus because I'm in Washington, right? These things can travel and you'd be surprised. Look, I live in the Philly area. I'm about an hour and a half, two hours from New York City. But all it takes is one person to go to New York, grab a bag of bagels, touch someone's hand, drive down to Philly to, you know, give it to their friend. It's an hour and a half drive. People make this commute all the time. And now it's in Philly as well. This is, I, I think for, for most people, based on the data we've seen, it's not going to be the end of the world. Like I said, it's, it's 80% of people of a mild case won't even notice. But this does mean that there's going to be disruption. Now, the Democrats have been lying up the wazoo about not every single one of them, but, but too many of them claiming that Trump stripped the CDC and like, you know, killed its budget. And the AP says that is not true. Democrats distort coronavirus readiness. Now, here's, here's the thing. Yesterday I talked about this. They are lying about what, 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 uh, uh, they're lying about what Trump has done. Now they're lying about Trump calling them out for lying. This is insane. We, we cannot go on like this. Now, look, I think Donald Trump is underreacting. I absolutely do. 
I, I, I want to make sure I'm saying this because I know they want to take these things out of context and, and claim that I'm screeching or something. It's not the end of the world, but there's going to be serious issues and people will lose their lives. Trump has said that. He said, we're prepared. We're ready. The AP agrees with him saying the CDC has been pl- has a plan in place and, and it's been in place since before Trump. So if the CDC isn't ready now, it's not necessarily his fault. It's what the CDC has been doing. But I think it's fair to say the U.S. is prepared as it can be because what the Democrats have been claiming about Trump is just not true. And I'm going to show you how insane it really does get. Trump says criticism of White House is a hoax. What, what Trump was saying here is that the Democrats who have come out claiming he's cut away resources and everything, they're lying about it because they're constantly trying to come up with scandals to go after him. He's right. I said that yesterday morning. Now, what do you think is happening? Michael Moore, Trump calling coronavirus a hoax is dangerous. And here we go. Did Donald Trump say the coronavirus itself was a hoax? No. Donald Trump said that the Democrats attack of him is a hoax, that they're lying. Let's read this. Let me let me read this from the Daily Mail. We'll tell you exactly what's happening. President Trump has called the criticism of the White House response to the coronavirus outbreak, a new Democrat hoax as a 15 year old student became the third confirmed unknown origin case in the United States in 24 hours. The high school student in Washington state was the fourth unknown origin case of the virus reported in the, the fourth. Whoa. Yikes, man. Trump told a rally in North Charleston, South Carolina, North Charleston, South Carolina, that Democrats want him to fail and argued that steps he, have, he has taken so far have kept cases to a minimum, minimum and prevented virus deaths in the U.S., Listen, when I said it's because I think he's underreacting, I don't, I don't, it's, I'm not, I'm not the boss of the world. I'm not in charge. And there's a reason why I wouldn't want to be. I think he could be a little bit more, for lack of a better word, agitated, but it is important that we all remain calm. Trump is saying it's going to be fine. It'll blow over. That can be a good, that's a good thing. And I, I understand it's, it's a really tough position to figure out what is right and what is wrong. Because if you go out and say the end is nigh, you know, and we're doing our best, people will raid stores. And it's already started happening. People are buying up supplies, stripping store shelves of medicine and masks. Things, you know, a lot of uh, things are being sold out, foods being sold out. In other parts of the world, it's way worse. Like Italy, for instance, we've seen photos of the shelves being stripped. We don't want to run on the banks. We don't want to run on, run on shops over this coronavirus because we've dealt with things like this before. People will lose their lives. Trump acknowledges this. So I, I do feel like Trump could be a bit more stern. He could be a bit more, you know, listen, and to an extent, he is. So it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's always hard for me because for, for me, what Trump is doing hasn't crossed a red line in that. I'm just like, come on, you can be a little bit more encouraging of preparedness, I guess. But I think one of his concerns is that the market tank, we've seen the market drop substantial, you know, over 10%. So that's really, really bad for him outside of just the coronavirus. He's talking, you know, he's, he's got to worry about economics and stuff like that. But um, I'm tepidly unhappy with his response. But I get it. I don't know if it's the right or wrong thing ultimately, but I kind of feel like he could do better. What the Democrats have been doing, and I'll show you right now in the AP fact check. So Mike Bloomberg says there's nobody here to figure out what the hell we should be doing. And he's defunded. He's defunded CDC. It's just not true. Joe Biden said, you know, comparing the Obama Obama Biden administration with now we increase the budget of the CDC. We increase the NIH, NIH budget. He's wiped all that out. That's also not true. The Associated Press is saying that's not true. So the fact that now Donald Trump has criticized them for what the ape is. No, you know what, man? This is exactly what's been going on with literally everything Trump does. The media will say something. Trump will repeat it. And the Democrats will say Trump did it. 
the Associated Press says Democrats are lying. I made a video saying, yep, Democrats are lying. Associated Press says so. Trump then says the same thing. Oh, yeah, you know everything they're saying? It's not true. Now Michael Moore is coming out and twisting what Trump is saying. And it is the most frustrating and mind-bogglingly, insanely stupid thing I can see from people. I, I, I just, I cannot stand it. Michael Moore comes out and he goes, he gets, he gets asked by Brian Williams, who's a liar, by the way. And, he, and, and Michael Moore goes, I, I was sitting in the green room and Trump said it was a hoax and I just couldn't believe it. It's so dangerous that he would say, he didn't say the virus was a hoax. Trump literally said that people will lose their lives. The president acknowledged that the virus could lead to deaths in the US, but told the Coliseum and Performing Arts Center, we're totally prepared. I don't know what, I don't know what else the guy can do. Because if he comes out and says, the, you know, get ready, it's going to get bad and people panic, they'll blame him for that. So there's, you know, I, I guess it's, it's marginally acceptable as far as I'm, like, like I said, I'm tepidly unhappy, like, eh, I don't know, I guess he could do a better job. That's kind of my attitude. And, 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 and you know, if you watch me, I say over and over again, it's not the end of the world. They say so far more than 60 cases have been identified in the US with 84,128 cases of the virus around the world. Shortly before Trump began to speak, health officials confirmed a second case of coronavirus in the U.S. in a person who didn't travel internationally or have close contact with anyone with the virus. However, the president did not mention the news. They have no clue. They don't have a clue. They can't even count their votes in Iowa. That's a good point. Trump said, referring to problems that plagued the Democrats' vote in Iowa caucus February 3rd. They tried the impeachment hoax. This is their new hoax, Trump said, of the Democrat, uh, Democratic denunciations of his administration's coronavirus response. He's right. He, he's just, he's right. They're, they're, they're spewing word vomit to earn political points. We've come now to a point, though. So, so look, I think, I, I think we, we, we understand. It's spreading. It's getting worse. I think Trump should be a little bit more forthright and say, listen, it's going to affect you. I, I, maybe he did that. I don't know. I can just tell you that this clip really, really pissed me off. Michael Moore trying to pretend like he's being all somber, like, I can't believe it. The president, what has he done? Oh, shut up, dude. Grow up. Are you kidding me? Come on. Vox is now running a story. It's not overreacting to prepare for coronavirus. Here's how. Thank you. Now, look, I get it. There, there, there was a smear and op-ed claiming that right-wing media was pushing conspiracies about coronavirus. I mean, they're pushing uh, a lot of people that I don't necessarily think it's, it's fair to call right wing. We're pushing uh, un, unconfirmed news reports, I guess. And the problem is they said the same thing about me that simply by talking about certain reports that I'm pushing the conspiracy theory. You know what? Grow up. We're allowed to have critical thought. We're allowed to talk about things, part, you know, with a, part, with a critical undertone of sorts. We're allowed to speculate and have a conversation, you insufferable ivory tower morons. If a, if a study comes out from South China University saying, we believe in all likelihood this virus may have originated from a CDC center where someone was doing tests on a bat coronavirus, I think it's fair to say someone put out this study and it came out of China. We don't know if it's true. They didn't say it was true. But hey, even they're entertaining the possibility. Let's keep that in mind. Don't run out freaking out, you know, mobbing stores or running the banks because look, I got, I got to tell you what, man, so many people are, are selling, selling their stocks or what, you know, and, and, and the market's going down. I, I guess it may be automated algorithms and, and you, most people with 401ks or whatever probably aren't selling off, but I'm surprised people are selling. I'll tell you what, man, this will blow over. 
right? So Trump is right about that. We're, it's, we're not, it's, we're going to be in our house for a week or two. They're going to, they're going to get a, a catch on it. We're going to get a vaccine or medicine or something's going to happen. We're humans. We over, we improvise, adapt and overcome. We're going to be fine. And then what's going to happen is the market's going to rebound like crazy. And it's going to make several people millionaires. The market has dropped by so much that, and, it, and it's, and, and my opinion, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a market expert. It feels like it's artificial because the market was doing really, really well. Some people said that we were due for a correction because it was inflated. It was a bubble. But if we were, if slash, uh, well, I shouldn't say if, if, when this does blow over, because in all likelihood, of it, it's going to, the people who start buying in now at lower prices are going to recover all of that lost space back because once the news comes that things are okay, people are going to start panic buying and then it's going to skyrocket probably better than we saw before. I don't know. I could be wrong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout out to this. Uh, uh, look, we, we have the story from Vox. It's not overacting to prepare for, for coronavirus. Here's how I'm going to read this. And I'm going to do this because I'm, I'm going to do a shout out for preparewithtim.com because I do believe it would be wise for you to, to pay attention and to get supplies. I, I, I'm being completely honest when I say I do not like doing these shout outs. I've never been a big fan of yelling, the end is near, go buy emergency supplies or anything like that. But I've also been a very pragmatic uh, proponent of having some kind of first aid kits, water supply or food supply. Right now, as we're dealing with supply chain disruption, I do think it would be wise to get some kind of basic uh, emergency food. There's a a website that uh, helps, uh, that I partner with, I guess you could could call it. This does help support my channel when you buy from preparewithtim.com. They have, they actually have a ton of crazy stuff. They have two week food supply, four week food supply. They have like a year of food supply. I'm not telling you to go nuts. I'm just saying, here's what I always tell people. Do you have a first aid kit? If you don't seriously go get one, but many of you probably do. How often do you use it? You probably don't. Do you have band-aids? You probably never use them, but you have them, right? There's a lot of people who would shame you for going out and taking care of yourself. Ignore those people because they're more concerned about what's socially acceptable than surviving. I don't think even even if you don't buy these supplies, I don't think the world like you're, I don't think you're going to lose your life. I think you'll just end up eating crappy food when the supplies are, are running low. So that's why I think it's a great opportunity. But one of the reasons why I definitely mention this right now is for one, I went out and bought uh, bought uh, supplies and I ordered some emergency food stuff. I, I really do think it's important to have because your worst case scenario is you eat it, but also because this company, this is also newsworthy in and of itself, which you may have heard me say if you watch these other videos. They say, this is, this is the company. If you go to preparewithtim.com, they have this warning. The news media has focused on the coronavirus emergency for days now. At the start of February, demand for our storable food products was 10 times above normal. Since the start of this week, it has spiked to 100 times normal volume. We have documented this change almost daily for you on this webpage. These are unprecedented times. It is no longer emergency preparedness we're dealing with, but emergency reaction. I mean, I mean, seriously, there has already been reports of one, uh, I, I, I can't, I think maybe an antibiotic or some kind of medicine shortage because we sent, we, we have too much of our manufacturing in China. Shipping will be delayed on every order we take. Keep that in mind. Likely eight weeks or more in many cases, knowing this, Complete check, uh, complete checkout to reserve your place in line now. If you're preparing with our shelf stable foods, last up to 25 years in storage accordingly. As has been in place for a month now, orders will continue to be shipped on a first come, first serve basis. I am, I am doing this as I've done in the past several videos for two, re- for, 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 well, for three reasons. The first is that 
All of the videos I do on coronavirus are demonetized completely. I make like nothing on them. And this does help support my channel too. I legitimately and sincerely believe it is wise to have even a small supply. Because like I said, like a first aid kit, you don't expect to use it. You have it. Don't, don't let people shame you. And three, I seriously think this is newsworthy in and of itself that we're seeing, you know, stores getting raided. So even if the coronavirus isn't that big of a deal, you have to be worried about human panic. Human panic could be substantially more dangerous than the virus itself. But also, I will add, even Vox.com is now saying it's not overreacting to prepare for coronavirus. It is not overreacting. When I first started tracking these stories, you know what we did? We went out. We went to, we went to Walmart first. And we, or no, 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 we went to, I think we went to Lowe's. And we got a bunch of five-gallon jugs of water. And it was funny to me that you actually had Tom Cotton, a Republican from uh, Alabama, saying, that China's probably lying about this. And I said, he's right. China's lying about this. And when we went and bought water, we didn't buy like a ridiculous sum, but we did buy a lot. And they were like, why are you buying all this water? And I was like, well, we've got several people who work, you know, in the the studio. So it's good to have fresh water for for people to drink. I'm not going to screech the end is nigh to them. I don't want people to freak out. But I did say to my friends, I'm like, notice how we're here. No one else is here. No one notices. And we're picking up fresh, you know, purified and spring water. And they don't know why we're doing it. That's a good place to be. Because if it does come to the point where like what we've seen in Italy, where the stores get raided, and I've been in disaster economies before, we're going to be sitting here eating our beef jerky. Well, I got ostrich and stuff too. And we're going to be drinking our fresh water, watching, you know, TV and playing board games or whatever, while other people are rushing to the stores, fighting over the last can of beans with Agnes in the parking lot of a Walmart. That's the joke I make. But I, but I, but I think, and I, I'm going to say it again, it really does. I really, I really do not like shouting out promos. I much respect to the company though. I just rarely do these promo spots. You know this. You watch my videos. I, I rarely do like the, the typical commercial thing. But I saw this article from Vox. I saw how, you know, the Democrats and, the, and, the, and, and, and Trump have been kind of like going after each other. And again, Michael Moore, that was, that was totally disingenuous. But I saw this article. It's literally from yesterday from Vox. It's not overreacting to prepare. Even, even mainstream leftist media that was, that was downplaying the severity of this for a long time and mocking the right for pushing conspiracy theories is now saying it's not overreacting to prepare. So I will, I will mention one more time. If you do go, so in the link, in the description below, I'll have the, the, the website. This is, a, this is a company that I've, I've shouted out before like during a hurricane. And I've, I've shouted them out now a total of like five times, I think, in like the years I've been doing YouTube. And I probably should more because I do believe in, in, in what they offer. But um, I think now it's very, very important to say that if you do go and buy with them, keep in mind there is a massive delay. And that to me is, oh man, that kind of freaks me out because <laughs> this is the first run. People hitting up these companies, ordering what they can. And now this company is saying, sorry guys, we're two months out. That's, that's how, how big the line has gotten. I don't know what to say because I'm, I don't want to be a doomsayer or an naysayer or, or, or uh, you know, end is an eye or anything like that. But I guess better late than never. If even if you were to order with a delay, at least you'll still have it. And they say that some of this, some of these, the, uh, the, their food lasts twenty five years. So drop it in the basement, and you'll have it when you need it. Now, what Vox is saying? Let, let me let me show you what Vox is saying. They say this week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention told us to expect community spread of the novel coronavirus in the United States. It's happened. The latest report, like I showed you, we have this: the fourth case. It's 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 happening. You'll get sick, right? They think it's going to be like a flu, but it's traveling fast. They say California announced a case with no known ties to previous cases, potentially a sign the community spread has already started. 
They go on to say uh, the World Health Organization raised its risk assessment worldwide to the highest level. This is Vox, man. We are beyond the right wing conspiracy smears at this point. Vox.com is telling you it is the highest level it's been and it's going to spread. So I think now I I, I can't stand how they're late on this, but at least they're here, right? These developments have many Americans wondering, wait, are survival preparations now necessary? Is stockpiling food a sensible idea or a massive overreaction? Is it selfish or paranoid to be planning for the worst? Well, as the title of Vox, the leftist Vox is saying, it is not overreacting. I'm, I'm, I, this, this, this uh, uh, vindicates me to an extent. Because one of the reasons I, I'm always reticent to do like the promos for like emergency food is because I don't want to overreact. I do not want to be one of those guys who are like, buy your gold, the end is coming, the government, and you know, whatever. I know I'm making fun of Alex Jones, but I do that in a playful banter. But the point is, I don't want to be overreacting. I'm tepid milk toast. And so when I start saying this, I'm like, am I saying it too soon? Well, here's Vox. They say this, if the coronavirus spreads more widely in the U.S., Having prepared for its arrival will benefit not just you, but also your loved ones, your neighbors, and people in your community. You don't need to take major steps to survive without electricity or water, but should keep, uh, both should keep working just fine. But changing your habits and shopping patterns and planning ahead can protect you and others. Thank you. Vox.com. Thank you. Preparing for the almost inevitable global spread of this virus, now dubbed COVID-19, is one of the most pro-social, altruistic things you can do in response to potential disruptions of this kind. Zainab Tufkechi argued in Scientific American. Thank you. I was reading, I was reading USA Today the other day, and they were like, right-wing conspiracies spreading panic. And I'm like, oh, dude, you know what, man? When someone gets hurt, it's going to be your fault. When someone is hungry and thirsty, it's your fault. But now we get Vox. I love this. So yeah, you should be taking some steps, steps to get ready. Here's the reasonable person's guide to the coronavirus preparation, where we, with help from, the pub, from public health experts, try to help you not panic, but prepare. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Seriously, wash your hands. You don't need to wear a face mask if you're well, but you should if you're sick. If you get sick, you might be out of commission for a few days or weeks. Get the things you need to manage that. Boom. Get the things you'll, man- you'll need to manage if you get sick for Consider what you do if schools and daycares are closed. Five, psychological preparations are important too. So I'm not going to make this one super long, but I will say these people are late to the party, but at least they're at the party. A lot of people got to the party early, and now we're looking at an eight-week delay on food shipments from preparewithtim.com. But at least now we can see that you are not crazy for having done so. For all of you who went out and bought stuff, Vox is now saying it was the right thing to do. I wish they said it last week, but... I also want to mention, as more and more mainstream outlets start telling you it's time to prepare, don't be surprised if you go to the store and find the shelves cleared out. Again, it may not be the virus that gets us. It may be the panic. Not that ends the world or anything, but the supply chain disruption. So if we're worried about the spread of this disease, some factories stop delivering, we lock things down, there's checkpoints, you'll find that your stores don't have the food you like. And that's why it's important to, to react early. Don't be the last one, you know, play, hold, holding the hot potato or pulling the short end of the stick. If Vox.com is now saying it's not overreacting to prepare, they have my eternal, they have my, my respect and gratitude for finally, you know, coming around and saying, please take care of yourself. And, uh, and I'll leave it there. So naturally, to, to wrap this up into the first point, it's kind of a twofold thing here. I, I don't know if Trump is right or wrong to do what he's doing. 
I don't, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to say we should or shouldn't react or whatever. But I, I, I do personally feel that Trump could do a little bit more to tell people to get ready. And we've already seen other outlets and we've already seen a lot of people doing it. So I do worry that if Trump keeps saying it'll be okay, we'll deal with it, we're prepared, some people might underreact. However, Michael Moore claiming that Trump called the virus itself a hoax is a lie. And I'll leave it at that. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. Well, I woke up with good news today. Maybe you've heard the U.S. and the Taliban have signed a peace deal that will send all American troops home in 14 months and pave the way to end of 18-year Afghanistan war. Trump just made history. I think this is historic, but Trump will really make history, assuming he gets reelected and we follow through on this deal, or even in the event he doesn't get reelected, if America follows through on this deal and we end the Afghanistan war, this is an historic moment. And I got to say, amazing good news. Trump, will, uh, Trump still has some way to go on improving foreign policy as far as I'm concerned, but this is better than basically any other president in my generation. And credit, credit where credit is due. I'd like to see us not sending weapons to Saudi Arabia for cash because they're in the, we know we're in a proxy war with them for their war with Yemen or whatever. But instead of sitting here and complaining about the things I don't like, you know, Trump doing in foreign policy, we've got to acknowledge the good things and encourage more of it. And even the Daily Mail says this could give Trump a major boost towards his reelection. And now we have the scary thought. Perhaps I'm going to be a little conspiratorial. Perhaps the 14 month deal is because it means Trump basically has to win reelection. Otherwise, you run the risk of some other, you know, of a Democrat getting in office and then canceling this deal and the war remaining. And if we get one of these crony establishment warmongers, it is kind of worrisome. I'm not, I'm not entirely confident in Bernie Sanders, but I also think if Bernie was able to win, he would not cancel this deal. He'd also end it. So there's hoping. I think for the most part, we have a really, really great chance this could finally be the end of the stupid waste of American resources in a country we have nothing to do with. Let's read the story from the Daily Mail. The United States and the Taliban have signed a peace agreement aimed at ending the 18-year war in Afghanistan, potentially helping President Donald Trump fulfill a key campaign promise to extract America from its endless wars. I voted for Barack Obama because he said he was going to get these troops out. He didn't. He bolstered these troops. He increased drone bombings. Donald Trump has also increased drone attacks too. And that's important to point out. So there's nobody's perfect, but I can't believe here I am. And it was Donald Trump, the man who actually, at least for now, is trying to pull through with this peace agreement. One of the most amazing things so far that I'm I'm dumbfounded by is this photo. Let me scroll down to this photo. I want to show you this. It's uh, there we go. Check this out. Is this the future? General Austin Miller, uh, General Austin Miller, the most senior U.S. and NATO commander in Afghanistan, walked the streets of Kabul without body armor this week and posed for selfies as the reduction in violence took hold. Wow. Donald Trump met with Kim Jong-un and he got blasted for it. Donald Trump crossed into North Korea on the, over the DMC with no security and got blasted for it. I certainly do not think what he's doing is perfect, but you have to understand when, when Trump crossed into the DM, crossed to the DMZ into North Korea, they could have snatched him up. He gave up his security. It was a, it was a sign of goodwill and it was risky and he did it and he was confident and it worked out very, very well for the most part. Now, North Korea certainly is still pushing buttons. It's not like we've ended everything, but I got to say, 
while I don't think the man is perfect, there's a lot to criticize him for on foreign policy. Credit where credit is due. When I, when I saw this photo of General Austin Miller taking selfies with people in the street, I was like, whoa. I mean, that's ridiculously risky, but it says to me that the U.S. is confident that their deal with the Taliban is going it's, it's, it's to work. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So much so that the dude's going to walk around with any armor. Presumably, I don't, I don't even think, I don't even know if he has like a heavy security detail. He's just with people taking selfies. Maybe it's staged. I don't know, whatever. The point is, this is, this is all confidence building. I got to say, I'm really excited by this. I always, one of the things I explain in terms of what I take a hard moral stance on is I think killing is wrong, wrong, wrong. Therefore, war is like the epitome of what I, what I don't like. And more importantly, why are we as Americans funding world police BS? When we spend money on military weapons and stuff, a lot of that money does get spent in the U.S. and it does help our economy. A fraction of it is spent over in Afghanistan building roads and and other kind of construction. But there are American contractors who do a lot of that work. So the money still does work for us in the United States. But I wonder why we are doing that in the first place. Can we have those contractors say, go to Flint and fix some pipes? How about that? I know, I know we've made progress in that front. The point I'm trying to make is that we have problems with our own infrastructure, with our own homeless. And why would anyone think it makes sense for us to build roads in a foreign country that we shouldn't even be in in the first place that we've always been planning on leaving? Unless, of course, the machine was never planning on leaving. So they thought they needed some roads. I'm glad to see it. I'm not a fan of the Taliban. Absolutely not. These people are nasty people. But you know what? I shouldn't be overly critical if we're walking towards peace. I hope that things work out well in Afghanistan, that whatever ends up happening with the Taliban, I, there is a concern that these people are going to be, you know, uh, zealots, fundamentalists like they are. And it could be bad for the freedoms of the people in there uh, in, in Afghanistan, that the things they've earned. But I ultimately just do not believe the United States should be playing these games. Now, now I know there's a risk that Russia, China and other interests aren't moving in. Well, what are you going to do about it? Are we going to put troops in literally every single part of the world? No, we're not going to do it. And we should be bolstering our defenses, our border security, our country, our manufacturing base. Because when you look at what's going on around the world right now, that certain, you know, illness that's been spread around, why can't we manufacture the things we need for this? Why are we relying on China to manufacture our goods? I really do think, you know, it's not so much, I know the people who say America first tend to be much more conservative and have a very hard stance. But you got to admit, to a degree, America should, be, should not be the world police. Now, I understand foreign aid and things like that. I can agree with a lot of that to a certain extent. I think it's great that we, a very wealthy nation, do a lot to try and help other countries. The war stuff, not a big fan of. And I certainly think we've got serious problems with homelessness in California, infrastructure in Flint, in Newark, New Jersey. I'm looking forward to us prioritizing these things and having these contractors fix our own country because I don't know or care about what's going on in certain in, in, in many of these places. Now, now of course, when horrifying groups of people do horrifying things to, to the innocent, I think to a certain extent, there is a red line where we've got to figure out what we can do. But with Afghanistan, this was a lie. It was a mistake. I mean, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not so much Afghanistan. Iraq was the big lie and the big mistake. But I do think overall, it was all a mistake. We can protect our borders, bolster our security, and protect our people without having to rely on a foreign conflict and war. Let's read more. Under the, U- under the agreement, the U.S. will begin withdrawing thousands of troops in exchange for Taliban commitments to prevent Afghanistan from being a launch pad for terror attacks. If the Taliban meet the, their commitments, 
all U.S. troops would leave in 14 months. Yes, this is this is one of the best things I've ever heard. I, I'm, I gotta be honest. The U.S. invaded Afghanistan after the start of September 11th uh, to overthrow the Taliban, which had hosted Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda as they planned to, uh, cele- they planned and celebrated the assault. The Taliban itself, though a violent group inside Afghanistan, isn't believed to have directly engaged in international terror against the West. We can see all of these photos. I, I this is amazing. This is amazing stuff. Pompeo says the U.S. is realistic about the peace deal. It's signed with the Taliban, but it's seizing the best opportunity for peace in a generation. Speaking after, a, after the signing ceremony in Qatar, Pompeo said he was still angry about the 9-11 attacks that were planned by al-Qaeda under Taliban protection in Afghanistan. Pompeo said the U.S. will not squander what its soldiers have won through blood, sweat, and tears. He said the U.S. will do whatever is necessary for its security if the Taliban do not comply with the agreement. U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper, meanwhile, traveled to Kabul on a visit that officials and experts said was aimed at reassuring the Afghan government about the United States' commitment to the country. For Trump, the deal represents a chance to make good on his promise to bring U.S. troops home, but security experts have also called it a foreign policy gamble that would give the Taliban international legitimacy. So what? It's not our country. It is not a state of the United States. We shouldn't be there. For Trump, the deal represents a chance. I'm, I'm sorry. Today is a monumental day for Afghanistan, the U.S. Embassy in Kabul said on Twitter. It is about making peace and crafting a common, brighter future. We stand with Afghanistan. Hours before the deal, the Taliban ordered all its fighters in Afghanistan to refrain from any kind of attack for the happiness of the nation. The biggest thing is that we hope the U.S. remain committed to the promises during the negotiation and peace deal. So do I. Though the U.S. are planning to withdraw, there are still more than 16,500 soldiers serving under the NATO banner. Germany has the next largest contingent after the U.S. with 1,300 troops, followed by Britain with 1,100. Sources told the Mail Online there will be no immediate change to British military presence in the country. In all, 38 NATO countries are contributing forces to Afghanistan. The alliance officially concluded its combat mission in 2014 and now provides training and support to Afghan forces. And I don't care about what, what, what these other countries want to do. I'm glad that the peop, that, that our, our soldiers, our men and women in uniform are going to come home. And I hope this means we will prioritize our infrastructure, which has been crumbling, especially in New York. These photos are really, really inspiring, I got to say. You know, look, I don't know... You, you want to argue conspiracies, whatever, foreign policy blunders. I, I don't know, man. You, you, are, you are not likely to convince me there is a good reason why America should be world police. In some regards, you know, I can understand why we get involved in international conflict, like World War II, for instance. And we've got serious issues with China today. But Afghanistan? Look, I, I get it. I understand how this started. But we concluded our mission in 2014, right? Why have we, we, we've been sitting there? America is now the biggest producer of fossil fuel, net exporter of fossil fuels, I believe. So certainly that argument's out the window. All I know is Trump's making good on that promise that Obama didn't even make good on. I don't know what that says, but it does say something, doesn't it? Again, Trump is not perfect on foreign policy, but this is still one of the best things done by the past few presidents. I understand it was Bush who started it, then Obama carried it on, and Trump is now ending it. Good. Mujahid said, It was irritating and provocative that foreign military aircraft continued to fly over Taliban territory, but militia fighters were following the order to stand down. For millions of Afghans, the deal represents some hope for an end to years of bloodshed. Peace is extremely simple and my country deserves it. 
Today is the day when maybe we will see a positive change, said Yaved Hassan, 38, a school teacher living on the outskirts of, of Kabul. Hassan's children were killed in a bomb blast carried out by the Taliban in 2018. Since then, he has been writing letters to world leaders urging them to end the Afghan war. President George W. Bush ordered the U.S.-led invasion of Afghanistan in response to 9-11. Some U.S. troops currently serving there had not yet been born when the World Trade Center collapsed on that crisp, sunny morning that changed how Americans see the world. How insane is this? Not yet been born. That's mind-blowing. It only took a few months to topple the Taliban and send Osama bin Laden and the top al-Qaeda militants scrambling across the border into Pakistan. But the war dragged on for years as the U.S. Tried to, uh, tried to establish a stable functioning state in one of the least developed countries in the world. Why? Why, are, why is it our responsibility to build a government for you? I don't know. The Taliban regrouped and currently hold sway over half the country. The U.S. spent more than $750 billion dollars and on all sides, the war cost tens of thousands of lives lost, permanently scarred and indelibly interrupted. But the conflict was also frequently ignored by U.S. politicians and the American public. Ahead of the peace deal, Pompeo privately told a conference of U.S. ambassadors at the State Department that he was going only because Trump had insisted on his participation, according to two people present. We got a whole bunch of photos. This photo to me is amazing. This is, this is really, really amazing. Seeing a, a, a NATO commander just walking around taking selfies with people. I'm, 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 I'm so hopeful that this works out and we, we finally get out. I don't understand how you can talk about health care. You can complain about Flint and Trump and all these things before we've talked about ending these foreign wars that make no sense, at least not to the American people. Dozens of Taliban members, meanwhile, held a small victory march in Qatar in which they waved the militant group's white flags, according to a video shared on Taliban websites. Today is the day of victory, which has come with the help of Allah said, uh, and isn't it funny that they're cheering and so are anti-war activists? Like, who wants this? Trump has repeatedly promised to get the U.S. out of its endless wars in the Middle East, and the withdrawal of of troops could provide a boost as he seeks re-election in a nation weary of involvement in distant conflicts. But I'll tell you who's angry. Our permanent government friends who think we should remain there forever, for whatever reason, U.S. troops are, are to be withdrawn to 8,600 from about 13,000 in weeks following Saturday's signing. Further drawdowns are to depend on the Taliban meeting certain counter-terror conditions, compliance that will be assessed by the United States. Trump has approached the Taliban agreement cautiously, steering clear of the crowing, crowing surrounding other major foreign policy actions, such as his talks with North Korea. Last September, on short notice, he called off what was to be a signing ceremony with the Taliban at Camp David after a series of new Taliban attacks. But he has since been supportive of the talks led by special envoy Zalmay Khalizad. Under the agreement, the Taliban promises not to let extremists use the country as a staging ground for attacking the U.S. or its allies. But U.S. officials are loath to trust the Taliban to fulfill their obligations. The prospects for Afghanistan's future are uncertain. The agreement sets the stage for peace talks involving Afghan factions, which are likely to be complicated. Under the agreement, 5,000 Taliban are to be released from Afghan-run jails but it's not known if the Afghan government will do that. There, there are also questions about whether Taliban fighters loyal to various warlords will be willing to disarm. Maybe they won't. But I'll tell you what, good faith has to start somewhere. If we're willing to say, we'll give you a chance, there's a cautious time period. If they don't abide by our agreements, then they lose that chance, they squander it. And that, I think that's a, a safe and fair approach. 
I am not the world's foremost expert on foreign policy. I can't tell you literally everything that's going to happen or could result from this. I can tell you as an American, I'm sick and tired of what's been happening in the Middle East because it's been the major- more than half of my life. That's insane to me. And that we have soldiers there. They weren't even alive when the attacks happened in the first place. I hope their commitment is true, that they won't allow people to, you know, uh, terrorists to use their country as a base of operations against us, because that was the problem in the first place. They go on to say, it's not clear what will become of gains made in women's rights since the toppling of the Taliban, which had repressed women and girls under a strict brand of Sharia law. Women's rights in Afghanistan had been a top concern of both the Bush and Obama administration, but it remains a deeply conservative country with women still struggling for basic rights. That's true. But we can see that reform has been coming in certain, in, in certain small steps. And while it's not as fast as someone like I would like as a fairly liberal individual, I don't know what you think the answer is going to be. It's certainly not war. But I think soft power and pressure and, and, and the idea of prosperity will be enough to convince people to adopt you know, certain reforms. I was talking to someone the other day and I said, listen, I think opportunity and business, I, I dare I say capitalism, is one of the biggest driving factors in improving civil liberties and civil rights. If you want your economy to grow, if you want to become wealthy, you're going to need people working. That includes women. And so there are a lot of things that need to change if you want your country to prosper. And freedom and liberty is the path towards prosperity. Certainly oppression and authoritarianism leads to conflict, war, crisis, and starvation. We have seen these authoritarian regimes, and we've seen how they end up starving and failing the best thing you can do is allow your people freedom and civil liberties. That's been the track record for some of the most successful nations on the planet in the history of the planet. The U.S. has a separate contingent of 5,000 troops deployed to carry out counter-terror missions and provide air and ground support to Afghan forces when requested. Since the start of negotiations with the Taliban, the U.S. has stepped up its air assaults on the Taliban as well as local Islamic State affiliate. Last year, the U.S. Air Force dropped more bombs on Afghanistan than in any year since 2013. That's right. Trump is ramping these things up. Hopefully this is the end of it. Seven days ago, the Taliban began a seven day reduction of violence period, a prerequisite to the peace deal signing. We have seen a significant reduction in violence in Afghanistan over the last two days. And therefore, we are also very close to, to the signing of an agreement between the U.S. and Taliban. NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg said Friday in Brussels, he will be in Kabul later Saturday for a separate signing ceremony with Afghan President Ashraf Ghani and U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper. The signing is intended to show continuing NATO and U.S. support for Afghanistan. The road to peace will be long and hard, and there will be setbacks, and there is a risk always for spoilers, Stoltenberg said. But the thing is, we are committed. The Afghan people are committed to peace, and we will continue to provide support. I'm going to say something that maybe is a little callous to, to my war hockey type friends. If we leave, and, and things start getting worse. It is not our responsibility to dictate morality for other countries within reason. And for me, the line is, is pretty far away. Like what, what I mean to say is, look, there are a lot of countries that do horrifying things and we don't march into each and every one of them with guns ablazing because we don't like what they're doing. We, we do not have the moral authority to tell other people what they should or shouldn't be doing. We hope that through progress, being the shining city on the hill, you know, being, being that, you know, beacon of hope, showing people, you know, a good example of what liberty can bring for you, prosperity, technology, better living. Hopefully that's the path towards improving the world. I don't have all the answers, but I can say Trump deserves credit for this. And I hope it, it, he pulls it off. I absolutely do. I'll leave it there. Stick around. 
Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast, a different channel, and I will see you all then. The first U.S. death has just occurred. Breaking news from the New York Times. Now, this was a little bit earlier in the day by the time you've watched this. They say coronavirus update. The death comes as unexplained new cases in Washington state, Oregon, and California suggest local person-to-person spread of the virus in the United States. A person in King County, Washington, near Seattle, has become the first in the U.S. to die of the coronavirus. What's freaky is that we didn't even know people in Washington had this. It was like, I think just today we started hearing about these, un, these now confirmed cases. Just the other day, we didn't even know it was there. We don't know how it got there. And it stands to reason many more people have been infected and we just don't know. Now, the first thing I want to say, you may have watched a ton of my videos about this. The last thing I need any of you doing or want any of you to do is to freak out. Please do not do that. I do not want to contribute to anybody doing anything, you know, crazy because they're scared or panicking. That is the opposite of what you need to be doing right now. First, this isn't that bad. All right. I'm trying to talk about why this is going to be serious, why we should be paying attention to this news. But I, I, I don't want anyone to think the end is nigh. It is certainly not. It is true. The flu can and has been worse in many regards. They expect this, uh, or at least some, some graphs I've sheen, seen show this may be on par with uh, swine flu or something that affect, which means you probably won't even notice. It might not even affect you. But there are still some things that we should be concerned about. This does have a much higher mortality rate. It is getting worse by the day. There is some good news, however. The situation in China seems to be stabilizing, though I think it's fair to point out they have heavy authoritarian measures in place. If you are a young, you know, regular person, and most of you who watch my content, you're probably between, you know, 18 and, and, and 45 or even 54. Y'all probably fine because even if you get it, it's apparently like a bad cold or, you know, it's kind of like the flu and it's going to suck. We actually have one guy who is explaining exactly what it was like. And he was 66. Coronavirus cruise ship survivor 66 reveals the deadly disease hit him hard and fast and he spiked a high fever but claims an earlier bout with bronchitis was worse. I don't want people to watch my videos and think that this is zombie plague or anything. It's it's not going to be like that. However, there is a line between being prepared and reacting properly. As Vox.com said, and I reported this earlier this morning, it is not overreacting to prepare for the coronavirus. Wash your hands. Don't (laughs) grab right. Like, you know, just, just do your best. If you get it, there is a strong likelihood like the overwhelming likelihood, you will be fine. The concern we have is how this may disrupt supply chain and the panic is often worse. So here's what I'm going to do. I know some of you might not be super happy with me doing this, but I'm going to do it because I, I mean this sincerely. And we have a new URL for those that are interested in emergency food supplies. The first thing I want to say is I am in no way trying to push any kind of extreme urgency on you guys. I just think that if uh, this, this site, these providers have, a, have something that makes sense to have. I've bought them in the past. I have more emergency food now. You can go to safeandreadymeals.com. We, we made a new URL. I think it's cooler. And they have two-week and four-week food supplies. There is a massive demand for this right now. I, 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 I'm trying to tote, like, I'm trying to... Uh, st- Stand the line, stay out, stand the line between telling you it's, it's a good idea to have these things, but I really don't want anyone to be freaking out and, and doing things out of fear. That doesn't seem cool to me, but the difficulty is I went to Costco, I went to Sam's Club, I ordered emergency food, 
if and I, I literally did this, we've got it in the other room and I went out to Lowe's, I bought a bunch of water. If I wasn't doing it, I would not mention this kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm doing this now because I think it's fair to say, ignore the coronavirus for now. I hope that in any of the other videos you've ever seen me talk about with natural disasters, I've told you, if you buy, you know, uh, band-aids or a first aid kit, you never expect to use them. The same can be true for this stuff. In fact, you probably won't use it. And it's a good thing that you won't. Let's hope that's the case. But there is a massive demand. And I think it's important to point this out. So forgive me if you're, if you guys are, are tired of me mentioning this stuff, but it, it really does help, uh, help me out because these videos are always demonetized. And I, I mean it sincerely when I say you, you should, you should pick up some stuff if you, if you can. Don't go nuts. Don't go buy a year or anything like that. I wouldn't. But if you want to, you do what you want. I want you to make sure that you're making these choices of your own volition, but safeandreadymeals.com information is just down below. I, I sincerely think it's a smart idea to just have this stuff regardless of what's going on now with coronavirus. Hopefully this is just something that makes people realize you should take care of yourself. But I want to I read, uh, read you this story from Daily Mail about the cruise ship survivor because what I'm kind of hoping to do, and this may, this may be a little bit irresponsible, I'm hoping it isn't, I do want to kind of downplay the fears everyone has because, you know, we're, we're, we've got a presidential press conference happening, uh, you know, happened early today. We've got people trying to sell full body hazmat suits like, whoa, 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 pull back a little bit. The last thing I wanted to do by mentioning the food supply stuff was make you think it's the apocalypse. That is not the case. I've had this stuff before. I've bought more. I just think it's smart to have. And we have a guy who survived this basically saying he's experienced worse. So I do think there is a bit of overhype, but I also think it's fair to point out the World Health Organization and the CDC have been concerned about this, said it could spread to 60% of the world. And it's got a, it's got a 20, you know, 20% of cases end up in the hospital. So we should be taking this seriously, but we should not be freaking out. So please don't. Uh, have a good conversation with your friends and family. Have a, have a slice of pizza. Enjoy the TV shows. Do not panic. There, there are a lot of other people on social media who are screeching the end is nigh. Do what you got to do. Trust, have faith in yourself. And if you disagree with me, then, then please do so. But make these decisions of your own volition, own volition through a calm and rational mind. I want to read this account for you because we are dealing with some serious breaking news. The first U.S. death is serious, serious news. But I also am hoping that people don't take that and run and run and go crazy with it. I'm hoping that I can be sort of a more rational approach to this. So let me read this for you. An American man who contracted the coronavirus while a passenger on the Diamond Princess cruise ship has warned the virus hits hard and fast after he rapidly fell ill on his flight home to the United States. Carl Goldman, 66, left the U.S. in January for a 16-day cruise around Eastern Asia with his wife, Jerry Sarati Goldman, joining the cruise that has seen six coronavirus deaths. He finally returned to the U.S. on February 17th and had to be brought to hospital by, by a stretcher after falling ill with the coronavirus, despite walking onto the plane, an apparently healthy man. Goldman said that the virus, which has now claimed almost 3,000 lives globally, struck him out of nowhere, causing a high fever after he displayed no symptoms at all during the two weeks he spent in quarantine in Japan. The couple is now at a biocontainment facility at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, where Carl is still testing positive for the disease. What I want to highlight here is two important things. First, to kind of downplay it, the guy is straight up saying he's seen worse, like even recently worse. But I also want to mention he was in quarantine, boarded the plane a healthy man, got off sick with the coronavirus. That's the real issue here. The good news is the more we talk about it, 
the more the government takes action, the more we are stabilizing the situation. This is not the global, you know, dark days. We're going to be totally fine. Here's what I want to say to you. I hope that after this all blows over, and it will, Trump is certainly right about that, but I hope he reacts. This will blow over, and I hope you consider what would happen if it did get really bad. Not because you should build a bunker, no, just because you should have a plan. Do you have a bug out bag? Like I always say, you, you buy a first aid kit and band-aids and you rarely use them. But it is smart to have a bag with some, like a bottle of water, maybe with a, a, a spare phone or a battery or something. And so let's say a fire starts in your house. Do you have something next to your bed you can grab so that when you get out, you can find out where your family is, you know who to call? Let's say there's a thunderstorm or a flood. These things are all real things that happen all the time. The coronavirus is a rare occurrence. This is not a common thing that's happening. And it's probably not going to be as bad as a lot of people think it is. A lot of people screaming the end is night. I'm seeing people sell like full body hazmat suits. Like, I'm not going to do that. I mean, if you want to, like you do your thing. And if you, maybe some people get mad at me because they think it's smart to have. I mean, I guess technically if you have, it's better safe than sorry. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that. What I think is the reality is scarier. The flu is a serious threat. This may be worse. I'm keeping in mind. But I'm saying like, yeah, the flu happens, you know, like do you wash your hands regularly? Tornadoes happen. Thunderstorms happen, floods, hurricanes, earthquakes. Do you prepare for any of those things? Why not? Don't have an optimism bias. Don't sit around thinking you're going to be safe all the time forever. You don't know what's going to happen. This should not be the catalyst for you taking life seriously. What would you do if your car broke down and you were 50 miles from the nearest you know, city or, or anything urban? You're going to walk 50 miles? No, probably not. What's in your car right now? You got a spare tire? Seriously, I, I, I play things out in my life like a game of chess. I mean, I'm a Magic the Gathering player, for those that are familiar. It's a strategy game. So I think ahead about what could happen, and I make, make judgments based on probability. I think for the most part, this is going to be a big press event. There's going to be a lot of people who get hurt by it, and, and we hope we can minimize this. And the good news is that with the overreaction, definitely I think to a certain degree we are seeing that, it means we're going to stop, we're going to stop this a lot better than, than we have in the past. But when you have mainstream media, Vox.com, for instance, saying it's not an overreaction to prepare, I think it's fair to say even the people who want to smear all of us as conspiracy theorists are not recognizing, take it seriously. Let's read a little bit more of this story. You can see this guy's pictures. They say, uh, quote, I had a bit of a cough, but I chalked it up to the dry air in the cabin. He said of his flight back to the U.S. as he was evacuated. Goldman said that, ex- that, exhaust, uh, that exhausted from departing the ship, He fell asleep, but woke up feeling that he had a fever. When I woke up about two hours later, I knew I had a high fever. My wife touched me and she knew I was burning up. I went up to the military doctors. They took my temperature and immediately put me in a quarantine area. But at that point, it's too late, man. It's too late. Goldman added the coronavirus hits very, very fast and that a person can go for days feeling fine despite having the illness. We could have been exposing so many people to the virus, not knowing we had. The cruise ship was first warned of the, uh, of the onboard outbreak on January 17th. Okay, so you, I, th- I think you get the point. This guy, apparently, I, th- I think he appeared on uh, Fox News talking about it. It's not the end of the world. Seriously, don't freak out. Please, people, don't freak out. But uh, you can see here that quarantine is not as effective as, it, as we hope it is. We are doing well. It's the latest news. And I hope you all take it seriously enough to prepare. So um, I'll, I'll shout him out again. Again, it's safeandreadymeals.com, or you can you just click the link in the description below if you want to. I, the last thing I want to do is, is to ever be one of these people who's screaming the end is nigh and to go buy these free, you know, go buy these survival products or anything. 
I'm not going to buy a hazmat suit. I'm not buying, you know, gold and silver right now. I don't think it's the end of days. I went out and bought food. I don't know. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But the worst case scenario is we're having taco night. That's, that's our rice and beans. Stick around. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Oh, they like to say, Tim, Tim, take the red pill. Join the Trump side, blah, blah, blah. Nah, listen, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to mind my own business because I, I don't trust uh, that anybody is necessarily going to do the right thing when their collective is threatened. And for me, I much prefer to just mind my own business. We got a story here from the Post Millennial. Exclusive. Antifa activist granted pass, pass to CPAC may be responsible for having Gavin McInnes removed. I'm just going to tell you my general understanding of what's going on that I find absolutely hilarious and why CPAC is something. I don't care for CPAC. I don't care for the people there. I don't believe that they're honest and they're principled. I really, really don't. Sorry. I don't know who organizes it. I know very little about it. But let me tell you something. Apparently, they kicked out Gavin McInnes. Gavin McInnes is somebody who is deserving of criticism for stupid things he has said. But he's deserving of his free speech and his right to, you know, to speak his mind so long as he's not. I I think Gavin's crossed the line in the past. But if Gavin is now trying to make amends and do better, then why would he be kicked out of CPAC? But it gets better. We also have the story from InfoWars. Now, of course, I'm not citing InfoWars because I think they're a purveyor of honest and, and, and good journalism. It's because they're talking about their own staff member being kicked out of CPAC. InfoWars' Owen Schroyer gets kicked out of CPAC. I'm not a fan of InfoWars. Never have been. But Owen Schroyer should be allowed to walk around and do his thing. So here's what ends up happening. You have these conservatives at CPAC that feel like they're being discredited by people like Gavin or Owen. So what? Gavin and Owen are allowed their speech. They're, they're allowed to ask questions. If they bought a pass, they can show up. Now, look, maybe they got kicked out for something. I don't know. But why is it that we hear stories about Gavin and Owen being kicked out, but then you have apparently some Antifa activists? And, and I'm not going to name the person, but there's another person there who writes hit pieces on conservatives. Why are these people granted access and the actual people on the right are being booted out? It's because the establishment conservatives have always bent the knee to the mainstream establishment. Always. Now, of course, they, they spit and yowl when they're getting banned or censored on social media. But when it comes to their own event, they're desperately begging these leftist digital outlets to please, please let us in the cool club. Dude, they are not going to, they're not going to let you in. You look right now like the whiny little nerdy kid desperately trying to fit in with the popular kids when they're telling the nerdy kid like to go do something stupid. Like, all right, we'll let you in if you punch yourself in the face. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Whack. Why, w- why would you do this? Look, Gavin McInnes has, has said things that I think are dumb. And, you know, he's got some questionable stuff that he's been involved in, whether intentionally or not. That's the Proud Boys grew out of control from what they were supposed to be. And you can criticize them fine. The point is, it definitely grew out of control as far as my perception of what Gavin was doing. And now Gavin has to deal with what he has done and where he drew those lines. But if Gavin wants to attend your event, why would you throw him out? The same is true for Owen Schroyer. So what? He's affiliated with InfoWars. Too bad. You don't like that mainstream press is smearing them. They smear you all the same. They're, they're, they're smack talking the people sitting on your stage. I don't, I don't, I don't stand. I don't like the hypocrisy. If you're going to stand up for free speech, then these people are going to have their free speech defended too. And I will absolutely defend their free speech and literally anybody else with the nastiest opinions. And I'll tell you what, I don't like them. 
I've been critical of Gavin in the past, but he's deserving of his platform and his speech, just like anybody else. Granted, I think he's crossed the line in some regards, but you have to let people do better. Give them a warning. Don't do it again. Otherwise, we will have to take you down. And that's that's better than just outright banhammer or kicking him out of an event. Let's read this story from the Post Millennial. They report an Antifa activist was given a pass to the Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington, D.C., and is suspected of having a hand in kicking out Gavin McInnes. The activist in question is named Jason Charter and was arrested by the police on July 6 of last year following an alleged violent uh, confrontation. Speaking to the Post Millennial, Charter did not deny that he is a member of Antifa and confirmed that he had been arrested at an Antifa protest. I defended myself and others, nothing more and nothing less. As well as this, Charter has been accused of having a role in kicking free speech TV founder and vice co-founder Gavin McInnes out of the conference after a confrontation between the two. When McInnes was interviewing the Antifa-friendly activist reporter Jared Holt, Charter, uh, Charter confronted McInnes only to then disappear. Charter subsequently reappeared when McInnes was being removed from the conference grounds. This was similarly corroborated by the news outlet Right Wing Watch, who wrote in an article about McInnes that one attendee told Right Wing Watch they reported McInnes to security after McInnes threatened to assault them. Speaking to the Post Millennial, McInnes said, isn't it incredible that CPAC is inviting Antifa to their conference and then having Antifa decide who can and can't be there? We have reached a new level of cuck. It's my understanding that there was an event in D.C. and Gavin McInnes did mention violence, like getting violent and standing up and, and, and you know fighting back. And I think Gavin doesn't know where that line is. But I don't understand why CPEC is so willing to invite in other, you know, Antifa and far left individuals. And notably, what, the reason why I don't trust the activist or CPEC in this regard is because they also kicked out Owen Schroyer. Now, it's possible both these individuals did something, but I really don't think Owen Schroyer was going around threatening people. Come on, I don't buy it. You don't, you don't have to like Infowars. You can accuse them of everything. You can say they're fake news conspiracy. Fine, I don't care. The dude doesn't go around threatening people. In fact, he actually won a case against the woman who assaulted him in D.C. Yet here are the people being kicked out. When I hear that Gavin threatened to assault somebody, well, you know, I got to say, Gavin's one of those dudes, right? He, 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 he says it. He'll, he says he'll do it. And they have their, their Proud Boys uh, saying, which I'm not going to repeat. But I kind of just still don't believe it because Owen Schroyer also got, got kicked out. And I saw the videos. And of course, there are a bunch of conservatives saying you make conservatives look bad. It's like, well, well, yeah, too bad, dude. If you believe in free speech, don't be surprised when the kooky lunatics show up and say kooky lunatic things. I'm not directing that specifically at Schroyer or McGinnis. I'm just saying you take the good with the bad. You want freedom? Guess what? It means there will be crimes. You want security? Guess what? It means you will restrict freedom. You have to recognize that for everything you think might be good, there will be pitfalls to that. I happen to be someone who sides in the uh, airs on the side of freedom, which means let them do their thing. If Infowars and Gavin want to walk around and, 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 and interview people like so be it. This is, here, uh, look, ultimately, I don't trust establishment conservative or Republicans as much as I would tr- trust anybody else. I think they're willing to protect their own. I think you look at some of these Senate Republicans and you wonder why they haven't done anything to go after the corruption that we've seen or the or, or subpoena individuals, why they've been so ineffectual, why they've been so tepid and can't get the get, they can't get the job done. They've done some good things. There's some stuff on the horizon. Fine. And there are some good Republicans. I'm not trying to say like literally everybody, 
I think we've seen, you know, Ted Cruz, Matt Gates, and Josh Hawley all take action in a positive way and actually stand up for themselves. I just mean there are too many establishment conservatives who are just saying what they need to say to fit in with the crowd, same as it is for Democrats. And that's why you see these people get kicked out. CPAC is regularly rejecting conservatives for being too edgy, yet Antifa literally gets a free pass. This is a problem with America in a nutshell. Not only do we not stand up for ourselves, but we all but seek out the groups who want to destroy us and then invite them into our homes and say, do your worst. You know, I put on an event. We invited in a far left smear merchant who then went on to lie about what most people were saying and then claimed that she got attacked. And it never happened because apparently we, you know, security says we have video evidence. It didn't happen, but sure, fine. They claimed they were being harassed and people wonder, why would you let them in? And I say, I'll tell you why. We are at a significant disadvantage when we believe in freedom. It means that these people can exploit our goodwill and manipulate everyone else and claim we're the worst baddies in the world. But if we resort to banning those, we are the same as them. And that's what they want. They want to justify the restriction of speech and freedoms. So they cheat to do it. Do not fall for their trap and do not start banning people, be it a far leftist or someone from Infowars. If both of them want to come into my event when I have it, they are welcome to do so and they can say whatever they want. If they defame me, fine. We have court relief for that. If they want to act a fool, we'll figure out what security is going to say. But the point is, I believe in freedom. And that means I'm going to let in a far left smear merchant because restricting them would make us no better. That's where I draw the line on principle. And that means CPAC should absolutely allow. Now, now I, I want to be fair. I don't know exactly what happened with Gavin. I've seen Gavin lick a dude's face before. So, so you know, fine. Maybe they had real reason to, to boot him out. I don't buy it, though. I, I, I really, really don't. And it's because of Owen Schroyer as well. Owen's story, he said, was basically that every time he tried to do something, they kept telling him he couldn't do it. He tried to go and sit at someone's booth. They said, you can't sit here. And he said, OK. And he tried to interview someone. You can't interview someone. Then he tried to go. He's like, I'll go interview him somewhere else. No, you can't do it. You have to be here. OK, you can only do audio. Then finally, they're like, you know what? You need to leave. And people are saying, well, InfoWars makes conservatives look bad. Yep. That's the fault of freedom. You will look bad because I'll tell you what, if you truly believe in freedom and a clown shows up to your rally juggling bananas, what are you going to do? Kick the clown out? You, you let the clowns in with you, man. It's called freedom of association. It's called freedom of movement. It's called freedom of speech, freedom to assemble. So if I say I'm having an event and a bunch of people show up, guess what? Now I will say I do think it's fair to draw a line in some certain regards. I'm not an absolutist. I'm not a hardcore anarcho, you know, far right, far left libertarian or any of these things. If I'm doing an event for a specific purpose and someone shows up outside of that purpose, we may, we, we, we may have an issue. But I typically tend to err on the side of freedom. Gavin McInnes is a conservative guy, wants to go to a conservative event. Well, what are you going to do about it? Owen Schroer is a conservative guy, wants to go to a conservative event. What are you going to do about it? If I'm going to be putting on an event with speakers and somebody wants to speak, you have no guarantee, like you're, you have no freedom of access to that. But I think for the most part, even nasty people I don't like show up and I've argued with them. And I've put on events where nasty people show up and they talk about nasty stuff. And I immediately say, don't bring that stuff to my house. All right. You got your freedom of speech. I get it. I'm not going to kick you out, but we'll argue. We'll have those words. And you know what? What can I do about it? Now, if the venue wants to get, that's private business. I don't know what you're going to do about it, but I'll leave it there. I just look, I, I got to be honest. I, I err on the side of not trusting CPAC. 
No, no offense, I guess, to CPEC. I don't trust you when you, you know, when you do stuff like this. I think the establishment is so concerned about what leftist media thinks of them, they desperately try to appease them. I'll tell you what, why don't you just start doing the journalism work and just mind your own business? Who cares what they say? Ignore the lunatics. Sue them if they defame you. I get it. It's a tough game, but what are you going to do? I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. It all started with a silly internet flame war between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz responded to AOC saying, oh, if something, something like, if you're so smart, tell us what a Y chromosome is. Clearly, Ted Cruz is poking fun at the fact that the woke identitarian left typically denies the existence of biological sex. To which Ocasio-Cortez responded with her outstanding credentials, one of which included the fact that she was a, I kid you not, runner up in her high school science fair. I do not believe that is appropriate or a great, (laughs) I don't think that's an accolade for your resume, dude. But you may be thinking, so what? No, no, no. She actually said she was like an award holder from like an Intel Labs event or something. And someone looked it up and it was like, you mean a a science fair in high school? You didn't even win. And you're, uh, you know what? Okay, I'm going to read this for you, but she just makes it too easy. I know a lot of people are going to say, Tim, why are you poking fun at AOC? Oh, everyone's so obsessed with her. Listen, man, she's got 6 million followers. She is a celebrity in the political world, and she says silly things that makes people laugh. Sorry, we're going to do a little bit of political gossip today. And if you don't like it, the X button is up there in the top left of your, uh, or the top right of your screen. Conservatives mock Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for citing high school science fair among her credentials. <laughs> All right, here it is. They say Ocasio-Cortez kicked off the exchange with Ted Cruz by criticizing President Donald Trump's decision to name Mike Pence as the head of the coronavirus task force, saying that he did not believe in science. Cruz quickly responded by asking the freshman congresswoman a series of scientific questions that were at odds with her her ideology, including a query about Y chromosomes. Ocasio-Cortez responded with a few insults and her resume. And among the scientific achievements, she listed her high school science fair. What, What is this? This is why people make fun of her for being nothing but a bartender. You know what, man? I, I, I have respect for AOC for being a humble bartender who then became one of the most famous politicians in the world, to be honest. She got six million followers on Twitter. Let's be real. I mean, mostly in the US, but for sure. And she does things like this so people mock her and they mock her humble beginnings. And it's because her humble beginnings show her to be, I guess, ignorant or just, I don't know, a little green to say the least. She said, Senator Cruz, while I understand you judge people's intelligence by the lowest income they've had, says who? I hold awards from MIT Lincoln Lab and others for accomplishments in microbiology. Secondly, I'm surprised you're asking about chromosomes given that you don't even believe in evolution. Uh, does Ted Cruz not believe in evolution? I mean, look, if Ted Cruz doesn't believe in evolution, I think it's he's ripe for criticism. We'll rag on him too. But he didn't say that, so I'm not going to drag him for something that isn't a part of this exchange. She says, Sincerely, an Intel Global finalist, a former multi-year intern for Senator Kennedy, a cum laude dual major in economics and international relations, a former educational director for, for a national organization, who to you is just a bartender, and also your colleague. The funniest thing is I think the reason she's doing this is because she's, a, she's, a, she's tired of people ragging on her for being a bartender, and she's trying to taunt her accolades. But then she posted a link to this story from QZ. Why? Ale- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 
won a prestigious science fair prize for research involving free radicals. Why? Why would you? Why? Why would you do that? Ocasio-Cortez's conservative critics were not impressed with their accomplishments. Jordan Shashtel says, "Runner up in the high school science fair, nice, but if you ain't first, you're last." Jerry Dunleavy said, "Listen, it objectively owns super hard that she is 30 years old and bragged about interning for Ted Kennedy and winning a prize for her high school science fair project." Dude, come on. Can you, can you stop falling for these traps? No, that's why people play into it. Now, I'm going to give a warning to conservatives real quick, and we're going to read some more of these snarky tweets and have a laugh at, at her expense. But I want to remind you that publicity is publicity. You know, they say there's no such thing as bad publicity. There really is bad publicity, but this ain't it. This is a bunch of conservatives ragging on Ocasio-Cortez. And you know what happens then? Because of the tribal nature of politics, you're going to get a bunch of leftists, far leftists and Democrats saying they're just being mean to her and they will then prop her up. You're now going to see stories in the inverse saying conservatives tried, you know, dragging Ocasio-Cortez. She responded with her snappy resume. They are going to use all of these and be like conservative uproar because Ocasio-Cortez won the science fair and they're going to love it. They don't view it the same way you do. So here's the, I've given this warning in the past, but boy, does it bear repeating if you keep propping her up like this because it's fun to make fun of her. She does gain tribal power on the other side. And don't be surprised when she wields that to win, I don't know, a Senate seat. You're not going to like that when she ousts Chuck Schumer, are you? A lot of people think she might actually lose her seat in New York's 14th because she's facing a primary challenge from, a, from five other Democrats, a total of like 13 challengers. She might actually lose. But she's got enough statewide and national notoriety that she might actually mount a primary challenge against, say, Chuck Schumer and then win a Senate seat. And y'all wouldn't be happy about that, would you? Be careful what you wish for. Every time you rag on her, you do give her press attention. Now, I've also had people say to me, but Tim, you're doing it too. Yeah, because I don't care. Look, I can criticize her all day and night, but haven't you noticed I'm ambivalent? Do you see me screeching about how Trump must be removed or how, like, you know, a Democrat should win? No, I'm fairly milk toast, aren't I? If Ocasio-Cortez wins, I'll just rag on her when she does things that's bad. But I don't know if people vote for her, then they voted for her. If she wins, she won. I'm just letting y'all know when you rag on her all day and night, whether you like it or not, you do give her some press attention and power. Now, that being said, I do think it's fair to poke at her for being kind of stupid. Not always, but sometimes. You know, I agree with her on some things. Nobody disagrees on literally everything. Everybody has something they have in common or agree with. Let's read a little bit more of this. Cabot Phillips says that microbiology award from MIT that AOC is bragging about was second place at a high school science fair. Esoteric Jeff says you got first place in a high school science fair for God's sakes. Actually, (laughs) second place. I'm dead serious. This is what she means when she says she was honored by MIT and Lincoln Lab for achievements in microbiology. She won a science fair. No, she got runner up. <laughs> she got runner up second place. It was second place, wasn't it? As they say, she won a, a fair. What, what do they say? Uh, I'm not, I don't want to read this too much, but she won a prize. I don't know. Some people are saying it was second place. I don't, I don't know. What is this? She, she tweeted something that said, Funny enough, one of the compounds I tested yielded unusually promising results for cellular health, plus C, elegant lifespan extension. When I tried to find out why the compound wasn't pursued more, one of the explanations given to me was that pharma lobbyists worked against it. It's funny how you find something and there's a political, ex- political explanation. 
Ben Shapiro responded, she makes it sound like she cured cancer. She came in second in a high school science fair at age 30. She should probably update her resume. We have Harry Kachastrian. Apparently AOC is bragging out winning second place one time at a high school science fair. Is that there's more? Giancarlo Sopo, did she really just cite her second place high school science fair project and congressional internship as expertise to comment on the coronavirus? Cruz, (laughs) this is great. Cruz, after criticizing Ocasio-Cortez for failing to answer his questions, offered his own take on her science fair achievement. By the way, grats on the science fair. Ah, dude, she she walked right into that one. But uh, but look, um, there, there's probably okay. That's that's it. Oh man, I can't believe this is where we're really at. This is politics in 2020. First of all, why are so many politicians getting into flame wars on Twitter? Uh, look, I, I do political commentary and journalism and, and stuff of that nature. Uh, I do a podcast. Sometimes I talk about movie reviews, and I'm gonna make fun of politicians because I mean it's it's better than talking about Brad Pitt, I guess. No, but I think this stuff really does impact us. But Ted. Mr. Cruz, why are, you, why are you playing the game? I know she's the one who set, her up for, set herself up for this stuff, but uh, it's just so oof. D- didn't Ted Cruz and AOC like work on a bill together to like end lobbying and now they're doing this silly stuff? It's really, really weird, I think. I don't, I'm not saying you have to have this like fanciful decorum and act like, you know, robots or anything. But why are we at this point where we have people like AOC tweeting these things and you know what? I got to I got to be honest, like Trump plays into this, too. And maybe Trump is the reason it's getting this bad. I, I, I honestly think it's not Trump, though. I think it's Trump is more of a symptom, not the, the actual cause. And I think something's happened. Maybe it's social media where we've seen a rise in off the cuff comments and snood, snide, snarky nonsense. Donald Trump certainly makes tweets that make me laugh. AOC makes tweets that make me laugh. You got to admit, Trump tweets some really dumb stuff. Lots of misspellings. And who can forget Kavfifi? That was a typo. But boy, does the president have typos. I guess the president hasn't been going around bragging about a science fair, which is a bit different. But you got to recognize, whether you want to or not, that there is a Trumpian aspect of Cortez. She is like a little Trump with her bombastic, silly and absurd tweets, her loud, bombastic and populist personality. And for some reason, this is the world we've earned. I don't know if we deserve it. Maybe we do. At least we can all laugh about it. At the, very, at the very least bit, have a sense of humor. That's all I can say. I know a lot of people on the left don't like to and they get bent out of shape. So all I can say to them is grow up, smell the flowers, laugh a little bit. At the end of the day, AOC is still one of the most powerful politicians in the world. We can all make fun of her. She can get bent out of shape about it. You can complain that she's bu- being bullied, but I don't care. She is the epitome of privilege. She's not going to be booted out of office because we joked about her stupid science fair project. But you actually lose a primary and maybe not make it, but maybe she'll be senator. I don't know. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Podcast at 630. And I will see you all next time.